0: Hello and welcome to Talking Finance. I'm Alan Collar, back after a couple of weeks off and glad to be back. While well, there's so much going on this week... Let's start with politics, and we've got Michael Keating, Bureau Chief at Keating Media and Editor in Chief of Inside Canberra, runs me through what's making headlines in Canberra this week. On the markets, which have been going a bit crazy, we've got David DeGarris, Director and Senior Economist at NAB. On the economy, and we've had the RBA leaving rates on hold, and a bit of data coming out this week, we've got Joanne Masters, Senior Economist at ANZ, bringing us up to date on the week's economic news. And finally, Tim Lawless, Head of Research, at Core Logic, tells us about the March house price data.
1: Members on my right will cease interjecting. The Leader of the House will cease interjecting.
0: Joining me now is the Editor-in-Chief of the Inside Canberra newsletter, Michael Keating, discussing the latest shenanigans in relation to energy policy and the pressure on the AGL the cell Liddell, but also, oh, and the emergence of Monash Forum, the grouping of uh, 20 conservative MPs, but also the manoeuvrings in the background for the leadership of the coalition and the Liberal Party um, between an unnamed conservative politician and Julie Bishop, uh, which Michael is revealing to us today. So here's Michael Keating from inside Canberra. Michael, uh, energy policy is back in the news this week. Um, what do you make of the government's efforts to um, get AGL to sell the Liddell power station to Alinta? How do, you, how do you view that? Yes,
2: well, there's obviously a few components to that. I mean, the uh, establishing of the new Monash Group and the Monash Forum uh, has come to light over the, the week where we've seen 20 uh, coalition uh MPs who are pushing for uh, more coal-fired power stations uh, rather than less, and at the moment, obviously, uh, Lordell is uh, looking uh, to be sold, but uh, AGL has uh, so far uh, not been forthcoming in selling it. Uh, so there's a bid for the power station. Um, by another company, but uh, so far that hasn't been accepted. So the uh, coalition is sort of facing a bit of a divide in uh, between its members um, with those who are wanting to uh, have the power station continue on and uh, continue its supply into the grid and those who uh, want to get rid of coal fire power, and uh, that's really come to a head this week uh, with uh, uh, revelations about the Monash Forum, where these coalition MPs are pushing for more coal fire power stations.
0: How much clout do you think this Monash Forum is likely to have? I mean, can they actually have an impact or not? It just seems to be a Tony Abbott-led thing.
2: Yes, well, I mean they've got uh, Craig Kelly, who's the uh, the chair of uh, the Government's uh, Energy uh, References Committee. So uh, they do have uh, a few uh, reasonable uh, reasonably powerful members, but of course it is something that tony abbott is is pushing himself and the constant uh, give and take between. Malcolm Turnbull and and Tony Abbott comes out in various ways, and and this being one of them. Um, Obviously they can't affect uh, policy uh, uh, as the Cabinet can, but certainly the agitation of these MPs is probably enough to change uh, outcomes of processes somewhat.
0: In fact, I'm wondering whether uh, Turnbull's pressure on AGL to to sell the Dell rather than close it is just an attempt to, um, in a sense, counter the influence of Monash Forum by just giving, you know, having a bit of a win, so that he can mm-hmm. um, uh, put the Monash Forum back in its box. Do you think that's uh, possibly the, the case?
2: Oh, I think so. It's always. Uh Well, since uh, Mark and Turnbull took the leadership, it's been a constant battle point, and we've seen that with uh, a number of different speeches from Tony Abbott over the years and uh, Turnbull's response. So I I think that this is just the latest in those incidents.
0: Do do you think that the government's policy of the National Energy Guarantee will get up um, this year when it goes, you know, that the states will Uh, vote in favour of
2: it or not? Um, Well, it's looking that way. The uh, notable holdout seems to be the Australian Capital Territory, but uh, Shane Rattenbury, uh, who is the Minister uh, for Climate Change here in the ACT, which is very left-wing electorate, uh, has uh, just spoken to the media saying that uh, he won't stand in the way. So, It certainly looks like the uh, National Energy Guarantee uh, will likely uh, get us later in the year, albeit with some amendments.
0: So this AGL stuff is probably just a sideshow, isn't it, really?
2: Yeah, I I think it's uh, something that's uh, political football more than anything else. Uh, I mean... uh, energy policy is a large mix and we've seen the discussions around that from nuclear energy to coal-fired energy uh, and from various ministers so uh, this this AGL uh, Dell plant um, is obviously significant as far as what it puts into the grid uh, for generation but it's only a small part of the total and overall energy mix uh, that we use in this country. So um, there's many more factors such as uh, grid security, uh, where uh, interconnectivity of the grids um, and and other things that uh, that probably are just important as uh, as this power station itself.
0: Yeah. What else is going on, Michael, in terms of the politics? Uh, is there anything else on your? Uh on your plate that you can see that's worth uh, worth paying attention to.
2: Yes, there's a whole host of things. Um, well, uh, to start with, uh, there's a, a Liberal MP who's working on a twenty thousand word document, uh, which he's trying to outline the government's philosophy for governing, and uh, that's uh, looking to be released post budget. Um, who's They're that? not looking to make. Uh, Well, at the moment, uh, I can narrow it down to one of the uh, Abbott supporters, but uh, we haven't yet been briefed on exactly who it is, just that this document is on the cards and being written for release post-budget, and it's going to be not a detailed policy manifesto, but it's supposed to be an important marker that the MP is hoping to use as a future launching pad for the leadership if that were to become available. And the leadership, of course, now that there's uh, we're coming up to the 30 consecutive news polls in which the coalition uh, is behind, Labor is uh, obviously one of the main points. And uh, there's I've uh, heard I, I, from...
0: Are you saying that this document will will actually be the start of a new leadership push?
2: Uh, that's what I'm hearing, yes. So that's uh, one of the things that is occurring uh, right at the moment. And the other is I'm hearing from various sources that, uh, that uh, Julie Bishop is uh, having a look at the numbers um, and one of the sources said that she was willing to come to the aid of the Liberal Party and uh, that they thought she was canvassing support. However, there's a lot of uh, speculation around leadership, so that's just one of the options. And, of course, she'd then have to lead the uh, the party, which uh, is no small feat, but... Uh, Certainly, there's enough noise at the moment saying that uh, that is one of the options to show that there's at least some canvassing being done uh, for Bishop uh, to take the leadership. But
0: sounds
2: like no you
0: may be suggesting. It sounds like you're suggesting we may be heading for a um, a fight for the leadership between an unnamed right winger. Who's going to? Who's writing a manifesto? And Julie Bishop, who is not a right winger, um, is kind of probably regarded as a moderate. Is that uh, what you may be suggesting?
2: That's uh, seemingly the the way that it's uh, going at the moment. But uh, obviously, uh, with these leadership uh, rumblings, the, things can change very quickly. And uh, there's has to be someone who publicly. Uh, Puts their hand up um, before they can do it, but of course, as we saw the last time around, uh, the initial stage, uh, Tony Abbott uh, wasn't challenged by anyone. He was there was just a spill in his leadership, and Malcolm Turnbull didn't put up his hand in the first instance. So, I would guess that uh, if there were theoretically, if that uh, were to occur again. Uh, there could be a, a some a similar a process like that, although in this case, obviously, there are a few more obvious contenders um, to, to do so, but uh, the party would have to... Well, at the moment, uh, there's a position where the Coalition would lose 13 seats, so I guess it's about whether... There is enough momentum uh, for change. Um, And, of course, the uh, polling that we see now generally narrows when it comes towards elections. So you probably wouldn't say that would be the outcome uh, at an election. So uh, there needs to be the momentum uh, for a change there. And uh, there doesn't seem to be that at the moment, and today, uh, even one of the conservatives, Ed Sezelya, has come out saying that the PM is very safe, so there still needs to be that trigger if there were to be a leadership challenge. However, there are obviously options that are being discussed in the background.
0: joined now for a chat about the markets by David DeGarris, Director and Senior Economist at NAB. David, the Reserve Bank actually noted this week that volatility in the equity markets had increased. It said it was largely a result of uncertainty about America's trade policies. Do you think that's right?
1: Well, I think that's certainly been evident in other markets as well, Alan. So we've seen that this week again. I mean, even even in the past 24 hours, so uh, you know, we've seen the market go from one extreme to the to the other. So it's been evident in uh, not only in equity markets, bonds, uh, currency markets as well. So uh, it's certainly you know against the background global growth, you know, towards the end of last year was pretty good. Now the market's uh, fretting, probably rightly, about um, about the trade issue.
0: There's, there are other things going on as well, aren't there? The um, the tech stocks have taken a pounding as well. Possibly partly as a result of the trade, but also because of the um, uh, the negativity about Facebook and also some some problems with Tesla and so on. Do you think that's a separate issue or related?
1: Oh look, the the, uh, the tech is obviously tied in with the trade issue, Alan. But as you say, there are some stock-specific issues involved there as well. So it's been a mix of those two factors. But definitely the um, the whole tech uh, and China tech and um, America's approach to that is certainly part of the whole trade issue.
0: So, so what's your prognosis for the markets, David? I mean, looking at um, the volatility we've seen, do, does it require the trade uncertainties to be resolved before the market settles down?
1: Yeah, look, that's an interesting one. You know, there's lots of um, uh, politics uh, in, in that, uh, Alan, as you come, you know, we've got the US midterm elections at the end of this year, and I guess you could think that um, uh, the US administration will want some sort of wins uh, f- from that point of view. Um, it seems that behind the scenes, at least, um, that both sides are willing to negotiate, but um, it, it, you, you still get the feeling that, uh, to some extent, it's, it's a work in progress. Now, whether it might be that um, things don't escalate and the market just... Um, you know, gets gets stale with that story and starts to focus on other things. I mean, that could be how things transpire, but um, the market certainly uh, got it on its radar right now.
0: Oh, I suppose the part of the background to this is that the market, the stock market, particularly in America, was pretty high, um, and was arguably due for uh, a correction. I mean, do, to what extent do you think it was just that that we're seeing that? it's the correction
1: that we, that we had to have. Well, it was certainly part of it, wasn't it, when we had, um, you know, we had that jolt in um, bond markets and stock markets at the end of January, which was really not the trade issue, but um, I think it was a particular payrolls release showing that uh, earnings figures had jumped up and uh, the market started to think about, well, as US inflation really started to kick in and what that would mean for volatility in bond markets and you know saw that you know signs of a stock market correction on the back of that then we've had the trade trade issue overlaid on top of that since then so um look there's been a multiplicity of issues you say including uh, stock specific issues as well so um uh, you know whether the whether the market is corrected of course you have to remember that we're, we're in a reporting season the first you know the december quarter reporting season where um U.S. companies have just been dealt the news of tax cuts, so they are coming forward with their uh, expectations for earnings growth on the back of that as well. So, know um, yeah, it's quite. It's, there's a few moving parts to that whole, to that whole, uh, to that whole picture.
0: It, it is interesting. You mentioned the tax cuts. and It is interesting. The market is now below where it was before the tax cuts were announced. Hmm. It
1: is. Yeah. You no. Know, with the markets really, know uh, Struggling right now, the, the stock market has been struggling right now. So, um, is there
0: is there any reason to th- think the Australian market the Australia market will be buffered from what's going on in America?
1: I think um, look, to be quite honest, I spend a lot of my time thinking about what's going on in the economy behind the scenes, you know, which could, you know might well play out in in, in the stock market on on, on that front course, we know that we're, we're exposed to China. So, um, I mean, that, that, that's been a, a fortunate exposure in recent years rather than a negative one overall. So, um, from that point of view, that, that's been positive. But um, to the extent these trade trade negotiations sort of, um, and uh, tit for tat uh, tariff news arc up again, then um, that can sort of upset, the, the you know, increase the volatility of our market certainly.
0: Joined now by Joe Masters, senior economist at ANZ Research, talking about this week's news in the economy. Well, Joe perhaps we could start with the uh, RBA statement this week. Um, they inserted uh, some commentary about the increased volatility in financial markets, in particularly equ- equity markets. Um, do you think we should take much notice of that? What do, What do you make of that?
3: Oh, look, I think. All changes that are in the RBA uh, statements, you know, are worth taking notice of. I guess in respect to increased financial market volatility, we knew that it wasn't unexpected. Uh, It's something that uh, I think private sector economists as well as policymakers are watching quite closely. But I think if you're thinking about an economic impact, we'd need to see that financial market volatility sustain over a longer period of time.
0: Um, They did talk about, and it's true, that there's a rise in short-term interest rates, in the market, um, do you think that there, there'll be some policy implications of that uh, in time?
3: Yeah, look, I think in time is really the focus there. Um, there has been some increase in funding costs. Um, how that plays out, I think, will depend whether those funding costs remain elevated or whether they normalise back towards uh, cash rate plus margin uh, type era, um, type levels. So, I think it's something that we're watching very closely, but not yet too alarmed about.
0: Um, the other thing you looked at later this in, during the week was uh, retail sales, which uh, were 0.6% increase for February, which uh, followed a pretty soft December and January. Um, uh, how encouraged were you by that? Do you think that um, there's a sort of a, a solid uh, rise going on there or, or, or are you still cautious about it?
3: I'm very cautious about the outlook for retail. Uh, The February print was stronger than expected and actually quite solid. Uh, Retail sales were up 0.6% and it was broadly based across all sectors and actually across many states as well. So it was certainly a, a strong read, but as you said, Coming off a very weak January and February, uh, January, sorry, and December. So, in trend terms, it does look like retail sales are somewhat stronger than they were at that very weak point in the middle of last year. But I think it's hard to imagine you're going to get an ongoing acceleration given the challenges that the household budget faces. And they're obviously quite numerous. We've got very weak wage growth, very high debt, uh, some strong price increases for non discretionary items such as childcare and also electricity so in that environment it's hard to imagine that retail sales and discretionary spending can accelerate too much
0: i mean looking at a longer term chart of it it seems that um you know over the last what three or four years retail sales growth has come back to the sort of the um post gfc average which is kind of half what it used to be
3: Look, I think that's exactly right. Um, we know that post-GFC, uh, we've seen this um, very weak wage growth, not just in Australia, but globally um, now in recent years, some of that's been offset by the strength in house price growth, but of course, house price growth has now slowed. So, I think households are, are facing um, more challenging times, and also the household savings rate has come down quite a bit in the last year or so, and I don't think that that will continue to fall, given that house price growth is, is slowing. So, um, I think the outlook for discretionary spending in particular is quite challenged.
0: So, where does it leave you in your view about the economy generally, and, it's, and more specifically about... Um uh, policy, you know, uh, the RBA interest rates.
3: Sure. Look, we, we've got growth uh, continuing around uh, the sort of levels that we've seen in, in um, the last year or so, um, around that two and a half to three percent level broadly for the economy. We have seen a shift in the drivers of growth in favour of investment, uh, particularly public infrastructure, but also non-mining business investment. In terms of the RBA, we see the RBA on hold uh, until uh, next year. And in 2019, we're expecting just two 25 basis point hikes. And that really reflects the fact that uh, growth is sort of running still below 3% on our numbers. Uh, We've still got inflation uh, very low and we don't have it accelerating meaningfully towards the midpoint of the band. And that's something that Governor Lowe has talked about, that progress to the midpoint of the band. We don't think you'll see that until sometime in 2019. Um, So the inflation environment is still very, very benign. Uh, And in that sense, we think the RBA will uh, sit pat this year and move very, very cautiously through next year.
0: It's already been sitting pat for a hell of a long time. Unbelievable.
3: They have been. It's uh, it's creating a lot of challenges, I think, in terms of, um, you know, what, what we write about. But they have been very stable for a long time. But, you know, inflation has been very challenging for them. And I think in an environment where retail price deflation is so strong and unlikely to alleviate anytime soon, you know the inflation dynamics are really difficult. Um, retail price deflation, weak wage growth means you're not generating a lot of domestic uh, inflation, um, and I think the global inflation factor has also been important. So inflation globally has been very low, and that's been weighing on inflation here in Australia.
0: Now that the house price results for March, and to discuss them, here's Tim Lawless of CoreLogic talking to Greg Demopoulos.
4: Tim, home prices for March came out this week. What did we learn from it all?
5: Well, there's quite a diverse story here the the national reading was an absolutely flat month. Values were unchanged in March. When you start drilling down below the surface, it's pretty clear we're starting to see some acceleration across the combined regional markets. We saw values up by 0.4%. Over the, uh, uh, the month of March Whereas capital cities are still being weighed down By a pretty soft performance in Sydney and Melbourne uh, Across the combined capital's values were down by 0.2% in March uh, To be up by only 4.1% uh, Sorry, excuse me, by 0.8% over the past 12 months
4: Now in terms of regional values rising And most capital cities falling Why is that? Is more money being poured into regional centres now?
5: There's a few reasons. One of them comes back to just the softness in Sydney and Melbourne after those markets moved through a peak last year. Sydney values peaked out in July, Melbourne a bit later in November. But both markets have been seeing some subtle falls. To date, Sydney values are down by almost 4% since they peaked, whereas Melbourne's been a bit more resilient to falls. But um, the other trend, of course, comes back to that the regional markets are now showing a bit of a step up in terms of their performance. The mining states, are showing a, uh, a subtly better performance. Lifestyle markets have really picked up with a lot of equity flowing out of Sydney and Melbourne into uh, um, markets along the coastlines and hinterland locations. They've also got the satellite cities, so markets like uh, Newcastle or, or Wollongong, Geelong in Melbourne, where growth has certainly rippled out of the capital cities into those markets where prices are, are relatively more affordable.
4: Now, when it comes to Hobart, it looks like it's still got its foot firmly on the accelerator. How much longer do you think it can sustain such levels of growth?
5: Hobart values are, are racing along, absolutely. Uh, they're up uh, almost 2% over the month alone in March. Uh, they're up 13% over the past 12 months with with not a great deal of difference between houses and units. They're both showing double-digit growth. How long can Hobart uh, sustain these levels of growth is, is anyone's guess. But, but my guess is uh, That we'll probably start to see this this very strong growth rate start to moderate, simply because uh, we're starting to see some erosion of of Hobart's affordability, which is one of the factors driving it forward, um, but also just simply around uh, tighter credit conditions and uh, the slowdown in Sydney and Melbourne potentially starting to impact on confidence as well in in other markets.
4: Now, you mentioned just then Sydney and Melbourne are slowing down. They both uh, fell again in March. Do you see this trend continuing?
5: I do, and uh, it's interesting to note, though, that the the trend of, of declining values is decelerating. We saw in, in Sydney, for example, dwelling values were falling at nearly 1% on a month-to-month basis in December and January. But since then, that, that month-to-month decline has eased 0.6% in February, then down to 0.3% last month. So I think we are seeing some signs that, that maybe the worst of, uh, of these declines are uh, in the past now for Sydney at least based on the current data. And I think we can attribute that to the fact that we are seeing a subtle return of investment back into the marketplace. The, the big lenders are looking to regain some market share after they've overshot the APRA benchmarks, the, the macro potential benchmarks of investment credit uh, growth, as well as interest only lending. So I think we're already seeing some anecdotal signs that uh, banks are winding back those interest rate premiums and uh, opening up credit policy for investment a little bit, which may be supporting the market, as well as the fact that first home buyers have really surged back into the marketplace in both Sydney and Melbourne since stamp duty concessions uh, went high last year.
4: Now, Geelong, which is the second biggest city here in Victoria, has grown 10% in the past 12 months. Why is that? Are people simply packing up shop in Melbourne since they can't afford it and moving to the next best thing?
5: Well, that's one of the reasons, and we can see a really similar trend in, in Newcastle, outside of Sydney, where values are up by a bit more than 8% over the past 12 months, in the capital region outside of uh, um, Canberra as well, which has also been a very strong growth market. But it doesn't come back to just the fact that the housing is more affordable. There's also fairly vibrant economic conditions in those areas. Some people are choosing to uh, to base themselves in, in the satellite cities, and uh, either work from home, partially, and commutes uh, um, on other days. Um, and other people are looking for uh, uh, those lifestyle markets that, that, that often co- come into, uh, say, say, coastal regions outside the capital cities that also offer up you know, a lot of amenity options and, and airport transport options, that type of thing as well.
4: What about rental markets?
5: The, the other really interesting trend we're seeing at the moment is some repair and rental yields. Uh, Both Sydney and Melbourne saw gross yields plumbing new record lows through the middle of last year, but since uh, we've started to see uh, some value declines and some fairly modest improvements in weekly rents, we're starting to see these record low rental yields just just slowly repairing, Uh, particularly in Sydney, where we've seen uh, yields move from, say, 2.9% gross in the middle of last year up to about 3%. Still, a long way to go before yields get back to, say, average levels, but uh, um, it's good to see, I guess, for investment purposes, that uh, we are seeing a bit of yield repair in these markets.
0: And happy birthday, Agnetha Falskold, one of the A's in ABBA. She was 68 yesterday, would you believe? And here she is singing Winner Takes It All, which she wrote after divorcing Bjorn Alvaeus one of the bees in abba presumably born did her over in the settlement so she got him with a song
4: the winner takes it all the loser standing small beside the
0: That's it for Talking Finance. I'm Alan Coller. Have a great week.